This is the third in our three-part series around coaching versus therapy and trying to understand a little more about what they are and how they might be meeting your needs. We've established that coaches and therapists are helpers. And we're delineating a little more about what the differences between the two are, which we talk about more in today's episode. In our previous episode last week, number two, we talked a little bit more about the different titles that coaches have and what that actually means. We also talked about some of the different ways that the coaches we've had on our show meet the needs of their clients and how that's a little bit different. We also talked about the different backgrounds and experiences and training that coaches have and the ideal clients that they serve. Today, we're going to talk a little more about the differences because again, episode one, we talked about therapists and clinicians and kind of what the baseline of what they offer and their background and training. And today we're bringing it together with what's the difference between the two as we laid them out. So we have some great examples I think you're really going to enjoy. We're also going to talk more about the questions you should ask when you are looking for a helper to better understand if they are the right fit for you and to see how that relationship is going to work. So stick around. This is a good episode. And if you haven't already listened to the first two episodes, episode 53 and episode 55, you should definitely go back and check those out so you have the full context. Welcome to The Grit Show, where our focus is growth on purpose. I'm your host, Shauna Rodriguez, and I'm honored to be part of this community as we journey together with our grit intact to learn more about how to thrive and how to get the most out of life. It means a lot that you are here today. As you listen, I encourage you to think of who may appreciate the tidbits of knowledge we are sharing and to take a moment to pass this along to them. Everyone appreciates the friend that thinks of them, and these conversations are meant to be shared and to spark even more connections. I'm excited to tell you a little bit about our guest today. Jacqueline Emery is a certified life coach, podcast host, and founder of the Life in the Driver's Seat Coaching Program, which is all about empowering women to get into the driver's seat of their life so they can feel better, get more enjoyment out of their life, and intentionally create a life they love. This is her fourth time appearing on The Grit Show. She is officially our most seasoned guest, and we have been grateful for her wisdom and perspective. You can revisit her in episode 47, and episode 48 is actually a guest episode of her podcast, Life in the Driver's Seat, which she generously agreed for us to share with all of you. Thank you for being here with us again, Jacqueline. Thanks for having me. Will Halpern is a psychotherapist and public health social worker with over 20 years of experience working in community health center settings and in private practice. Most of his clinical experience has been working within the LGBTQAI plus population and specifically complex developmental trauma and substance abuse. He has trained in a variety of treatment modalities to offer a variety of options when working with survivors of trauma, including internal family systems, IFS, which you can hear him talk about more on episode 32 of The Grit Show, dialectical behavior therapy, also known as DBT, and eye movement desensitization and reprocessing, EMDR. He is currently training in neurofeedback to offer it as an additional treatment for trauma survivors at his private practice in Sturbridge, Mass. He also enjoys training new therapists who are learning IFS. When he is not at work, you can find him in the mountains, in a lake, or in the woods, enjoying whatever outdoor recreation is available in that particular season. Thanks for being here with us again, Will. Great to be back, of course. Eric Valberger 
is one of the earliest guests of The Grit Show and first appeared with us last fall on episode seven, Music, Purpose, Clarity, and Flow. You should really check that one out. Eric is a holistic life coach and spiritual singer-songwriter. He guides creatives on a journey to authentic freedom. You can get his full bio in last week's episode, number 55. Welcome to your third appearance on The Grit Show, Eric. Thank you for having me once again. <laughs> Our fourth guest today is Lynn Fan, the founder of Bonafide Life Coaching and a body acceptance coach. We got to know her on episode 29, Intuitive Eating, Acceptance, and Resolution Outside of Diet Culture. Her full bio is in the show notes of last week's episode, number 55, the second in the series. I appreciate you being here again with us, Lynn. Thank you so much, Shauna. Happy to be here. I'm excited for us to go ahead and get back into this conversation. It's fabulous. We've had three episodes to kind of explore the differences between coaching and therapy. And to kind of revisit that, on the first episode, we talked a little bit about the differences and dove into what a therapist is and kind of grouped everything together as helpers. Do we want to kind of have you guys have an opportunity to talk more about the difference between coaching and therapy as you guys kind of see it? Jacqueline, do you have thoughts? I was just having this conversation at someone's house last night because they were asking about this. Like, what's the difference? And I'm like, well, I'm glad you asked. And I heard it explained so beautifully. I really think a therapist takes someone from below baseline, right? Like if someone's not functioning, right? And they can bring them to baseline. Where a coach is, at least in my experience in my coaching and the people who I am in coaching groups with and my colleagues, it's like we can take people from baseline to above baseline, right? Like, let's go here. Not that a therapist can't do both, but I do think it's important to note that if you're below baseline, you need therapy to get to baseline. Say someone comes to me and they've had traumatic things that have happened to them. I can help them on what's your thought about that happening to you? What shame? What what are you making that mean about you? But when they're experiencing trauma, that takes techniques and experience that I don't have. So it's very important for me to say, I can continue helping you in your life. I know you asked before about like, should we be referring people? And I think that's absolutely necessary. I think there is a lot of life coaches out there who think that they don't have to refer. And I think that's very important to say that. If you're with a client that's below baseline, a therapist is where they come in to help them get there. Another beautiful way I heard it explained is like, if you're a baseball player and you break your arm, you need a doctor. If you want to win the game, get coached. It's just a very simple way to explain it to people and to the listeners. I think that's important. Yes. If you have a broken arm, you go to a doctor. If you want to win the game, you have a coach. <laughs> yeah. It's like you want to get better at your game, right? If you're already there, then get coached, right? Let's work on that. And again, it's not that we both can't help people in certain ways, but I think there's just a beautiful like flow to both of those, I think, where they can both work so beautifully for the same person, if that makes sense. Yeah. No, I love that analogy because, again, if you have a broken arm, you can still have a coach help you learn techniques that will help you win the game eventually, but you can't even play the game if you have a broken arm. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. And it's like, especially if you're giving tough love, like I give tough love to people. It's like, you know, and some people, they're not at a place where they're ready for that, right? Like, they're not at a place where they're able to take like life coaches are very action oriented. But if you're dealing with someone who's not even capable of that, right, they need to get the help to be that person capable of doing the things I'm teaching them. Yeah, that's great. Will, did you have something to say about that? Yeah, I actually really enjoy working with coaches. And this is one of the reasons why you kind of named it to some degree. But I think the best thing I can offer is an example without disclosing any personal detail. But there's a client I work with that has pretty severe complex trauma. 
it continues to show up in this person's relationships and other things. And so our work, we can do the deeper dive. I'm not saying though don't do deeper dive, but we do the traumatic deeper work so they can show up more optimally in their coaching sessions. So the coach that I co-work with does another piece of work because I only have an hour of time, you know, because that's what the insurance company gives me, right? Or I can maybe get some more, but that's a little more complicated. So it's nice when I can do this piece. I'm like, okay, this coach is doing this other piece and we communicate. So we're very clear about what I do and what she does. This coach I work with. Oh, that's awesome. That's a really great example. Well, thank you. Eric, did you have something to add? I was going to speak along the very same lines. You know, that idea of a coach being someone that takes someone from good or like functional to great or to that next level. But at the same time, I believe every single person would benefit from therapy. And there's so many different forms of therapy. I think therapy is for everyone, but coaching is for people that are ready to really get into certain actions moving towards a certain goal and from what my mentor really emphasized with my group of coaches that were certifying through her program it's not within our scope to try to work someone through big trauma versus small trauma and that sounds you know kind of subjective because two people could experience the same thing and it's all about how their nervous system and physiology carries that trauma forward But if you're working with someone and whatever you're talking about gets them into a stress response and they're out of their window of tolerance, that's a good sign that this is a little bit beyond the coach and they need some deeper work. And then also if if someone's currently struggling with the drug or alcohol addiction, that's not someone that's really ready for coaching unless they're having this therapy on the other end working at the same time. And there is a blending and there's an interweaving because there's certainly things that I do with people that are therapeutic for their emotions and for their habits, but it's all on a spectrum and it really is up to the coach or to the therapist to determine, okay, what type of help would be most supportive to this person at this time? Oh, this is great. You guys are amazing. You are the right people to be here. I'm so grateful you guys are here. <laughs> Do you have anything to add, Lynn? I mean, they've covered a lot. But <laughs> yeah, I don't think I have much to add. I would just say, just to be clear, like, you know, a lot of coaching relationships, it's finite, right? There's usually a goal that we're working towards and it's a number of sessions. And then once the client has achieved that goal or like gotten as close to it as possible or then the relationship generally ends. Whereas with therapy, in my experience, and like personally speaking, that can continue for the rest of my life. There's always something to talk about, something to unpack. Whereas with coaching, it's more like, okay, I want to achieve X, Y, Z. I'm going to get a coach to help me get there. Nice. That's very helpful. I love you guys sharing all of your perspectives on this. This has been very valuable. So I think that goes into how does somebody know if they should be looking? I think you guys did a good job of when should I be looking for coaching versus therapy? Do you guys have more specific examples? I really appreciated that. Like with Will talking about when it was in tandem and the examples that Jacqueline gave and that Eric gave about like the level of response you're having kind of directs you in that direction. And when it's a specific goal that you have that coaching might be the answer for you. So in general, people can kind of reflect on where they're at and what their needs are. That if it's something finite and specific that they're like, I have this goal, that that maybe they should be looking for a coach to help them with it. But if it's something more global that's happened to them that they're coping with on an ongoing basis, that they should probably be looking for therapy. Is that what we're thinking? 
Yeah, I don't even know if I necessarily explain it that way, only because I think some people think they don't realize that it is coming from trauma, right? Like they're like, hey, I want help with my relationship. I'm going to get a relationship coach or I want help losing weight. I need her. So they're thinking it's that specific goal, but they're not realizing the reason they can't get that goal is because of who they are and how they're showing up in the blocks that they have. So figuring out why is very important where that might be a therapy piece. Does that make sense? Where they don't realize that they're needing that. They might think, hey, jump on the coach train that's offering this specific result. But it's like, whoa, whoa, you want the result. But there's a whole reason why you're this is showing up for you, why you're not able to get that. That makes very good sense. I like that awareness. So people don't even always know what they need is the bottom line. And so you might start somewhere and end up learning as you go that you need to be somewhere else. Yeah. And I mean, I think it speaks to just I mean, I can only speak from my end of it, but I mean, part of my ethics that I follow and I'm held accountable to by my licensing board and all of that, and we all have our various things for you all as well, but, you know, knowing my area of expertise and knowing when I falls out of it and when clients start going into areas or things that I'm not trained in or I don't have sufficient knowledge in, it's my ethical responsibility to say, I think we need to have someone else on board to help with this, or I need to refer you to somebody who specifically can deal with that. So it always is sort of, you know, people say what they had come in for, but you have a, you get a tin snicket window, but like you start this down with, you're like, okay, wow. Oh, wow. There's an eating disorder that you didn't feel safe disclosing in the first few sessions. Now that we're knowing that's more present, I'm definitely going to be getting a specialist in eating disorders. That's not something I specialize in. And I may get a, a, you know, a thoughtful nutritionist to assist with that as well. So again, it, it is, you're right. You don't always know, but I think it's our job as the helpers to kind of know what the boundaries are, whatever our specialty is, and be very honest with ourselves and our clients about when we should have someone else work with us or refer out. Because clients don't always know. They don't always know what they need, or they don't always know like, oh, therapists help with all things or coaches help with all things, right? And distinguishing what's trauma, what's kind of actualization, you know, that's something that's really nuanced and not always so easy. So. And I think that's where it comes important too, to have a therapist, coach, helper, to have a helper who is also getting help that also has a coach or a therapist or a clinical supervisor, et cetera, et cetera, or they're part of a practice where they have other people they work with because them being able to discern that also requires them to help somebody untangle that sometimes. Because especially I feel like during the pandemic, if not in general, all of our helpers are overloaded. And so for them to be able to have the pause where they can reflect and say, you know what, I'm kind of thinking this client might need more than I'm able to give. And that might be part of why it's important to have somebody that's connected to a larger network that they can reflect back and realize that, oh yeah, this person does need more than I'm able to support and I can have these boundaries and be able to refer them or make sure they get what they need. Yeah. A really quick, I'll, I'll distinguish it too. Like when I know to bring a coach on, for example, like I said, if I, this particular client I mentioned before that I co-work with another coach around, what was important to kind of why we brought in a coach was, all right, so there was all this trauma that we needed to deal with, right? That was impacting my client's abilities to take steps professionally. And so they were sort of, I'm in this place of refiguring out what I'm doing professionally. I need some more practical, like that element of it too. But we also have like these impediments that Eric so wonderfully named about the nervous system dysregulation moments of like freezing or not being able to tolerate or bring things in. And so I was doing the work to help my client show up in her best way so when she was working with her coach on this very specific thing that like, we're going to get me from A to Z with my professional life, that it was great. Like, okay, they've got that. I can do just the intrapsychic work on like helping them show up and be present and not triggered. 
and like not activated by their past traumas that get triggered in interviews or get triggered in networking or selling themselves. Nice. But they also knew that other piece to help them be able to be successful. Yeah, that's so good. It's like if you're not functioning, right, you need to get to that level where you're functioning in order to be able to, like you said, step forward in that specific action, right? Like I want to, you know, have a better relationship. I want to make more money. I want to grow a business, whatever. Like if you're not functioning, right, you need to get to that level and then you'll be able to, like he said, step into that and be able to be present to step forward in that. And that's where a coach comes again. Because like Will said, I only have so much time, right? So I need to do what I do best and focus on where my real power is to help you and let someone else, right? Like there's not enough time in the day, right? For him to be doing that. So it's like, here you go. Now go work on the to do the specific thing. Not that we don't work on the emotional things as coaches, but it's just totally different. Yeah, you're right. There is definitely overlap in some of the ways like Pettigman thinks, the way thinking impedes you, certain things like that. Absolutely. But there is that. Yeah, I think I like the way everyone's sort of distinguishing sort of where the overlaps are, but where the distinction is. So I think everyone's done a good job of talking about like the resonance you have with a helper, that that is an important element for you to have. But what about when you're first meeting and having that first meeting? When I spoke with my book club and they didn't know that there was a difference between coaches and therapists and thought that the coach was a therapist, when that whole conversation took place, the person didn't realize that they'd gone to therapists and didn't even realize the therapist did when they went to therapists. And I feel like a lot of people aren't empowered to ask questions, to learn about the specialties. And this is kind of where we can get into a little bit of the alphabet soup about some of the specialties. And so even we talked about Will's EMDR, you have IFS, you have DBT, you have these specialties, but how would someone ask you or even know how those things play into your work with them? Well, you know, certainly I offer a consultation for free for they can just talk to me. Like, what are they looking to address, right? I mean, they try to give me the bullet points. And I explain to them, like, this is my background. This is what I can offer. I try to bring some of these crazy alphabet soup things into, like, really pithy, like, statements that can make you a sense of it. And I, I have all kinds of references on my website. So I say, look, my website talks about these are the things I do. This is where I got trained. This is where I get supervised, right? Like, this is my experience in this. And this is, like, you can read an article or two on how these kinds of therapies sort of could help. So... I sort of try to empower them on that free consultation to say, look, go, or even before. So I'm like, go to my website, look through it, look through these things and come to me with questions about, well, I read about this thing in internal family systems. I have this issue. What is that about? So I really try to do that. In addition to saying, look, you have a chance to get to know me as you're a consumer of health services. You may have been in therapy before. What was not helpful? What didn't work in previous helping relationships? So I want you to think about those and ask me those questions ask me about my training, ask me about my experience. Like I prompt them to if they don't. Is it helpful for someone to know to say like, I want to understand what neurofeedback is and what exactly you're going to do with neurofeedback or I want to understand what intuitive eating is and what that means or I want to understand what holistic life coaching is and what that is. Are those the questions that are helpful or is it more like they should be able to say like, how are you going to help me? What do our, our sessions look like? Like what are the questions that they should have coming in that are going to be helpful for them, whatever helper they go to? Both. I mean, all of those questions, right? Like, how can you help me? I want to see, like, tell me, like, show me what it could look like. Or I read about neurofeedback. Tell me what that looks like. I want to know. 
And again, being a consumer of healthcare, I'm like, I want you to be fully informed as a consumer. So all of those questions are good. Like, come prepared to interview me. Ask me all of those. That's awesome. And you need to have them be willing to be interviewed. And it's okay if they aren't for you to go see somebody else. <laughs> I want people to feel empowered that if, if somebody's not willing to answer questions that you need to go somebody else. So what are other questions that other folks have that you feel like would be good questions to ask you that people would get a lot out of if they asked you? I feel like a lot of people that end up doing that clarity session, that initial free experience with me, they know that they want to work towards something, but they don't really understand how it is they're going to get there or, or what I'm going to be able to do to assist them. So a lot of that first session is helping people get clear on specifically what it is they want, clarify that vision, and not just the tangible aspect of it, but what their values are within it. What do they want to experience by it? How do they want to feel? And really painting a picture of like, okay, this is where we're looking to go. This is where we are now. And asking them, what is most blocking or the, what is keeping you from this now? What is your biggest obstacle? And then giving them an experience of shifting through that obstacle or showing them how the obstacle is actually the opportunity or the block is the stepping stone. And I imagine that I could do a better job of being very clear and specific of how I work with people. But a lot of the times people resonate on some level and they want to dive in and know more. So as a coach, I need to know what powerful questions people need to be asked so they could then determine whether this is appropriate for them or not. And obviously I'm vetting as well, deciding whether or not they're an appropriate fit for me, but giving them that experience and asking them those questions so they could become aware, like, oh yeah, this is how I could get there. And this is a simple, easy process. And yeah, I do want to do this. This feels right for me. That makes sense. So asking a little bit about the process, if that's important to them, asking if the person that they're going to be meeting with has someone that they meet with, if they have a coach or therapist, they have a helper who they go to for help, can be helpful to help understand how that person gets supports. Do you think it's helpful if they ask if you've worked with somebody like them before? So if I'm somebody who has been diagnosed with ADHD, is it helpful for me to say, have you worked with somebody with ADHD before? Is that something you're comfortable with? Is that something that's challenging for you to be able to share those type of things? Yeah, those questions absolutely should happen for sure. You know, you need to make sure that this person is competent and skilled and sensitive to that. And just distinguishing too, like, yeah, great to you do your own therapeutic work, which I mentioned in the previous episode, but when people say like, okay, I use this particular therapy. All right, well, what does that mean? What training did you get? Like, where did you get trained? Are you certified? What's the certification process look like? This happens with therapists where like, oh, I use internal family systems where I use something and they read a book or they got an article and I'm not dissuading that as an option. But as far as like really dialing down to what your experience level is, like saying, did you just read a book? Did you just read an article? I'm fine with that. Or I want someone who's really seasoned in this particular kind of treatment. So if you're a trauma therapist, what is your training in trauma? Like what things have you done? Where can I reference that? Can I look at the places you got trained at? Can I pull up the websites? I say, absolutely. I want you to have all that information. I think that's a good example. So even like if I ask somebody like, so have you worked with people with ADHD? And they say, yes. And I'm like, well, have you got any training in that? Like, how many people have you worked with? 
what do you know about it? Because somebody could just say, yes, I've worked with ADHD, but then they don't actually, they've worked with one person and they could say yes to that. So to actually get something that makes me feel more comfortable with it than it just saying they've done it once and to be able to get like a better understanding of that. And that's interesting because Dr. Bruce Perry is somebody who I've followed and have huge immense respect for. And it was interesting because he said that the phrase trauma informed can make him crazy because I think it was trauma-informed therapy he was talking about, that there's not really like any gold standard for what trauma-informed is. Like that's just such a ubiquitous term that people use, but doesn't mean anything. (laughs) Like there's no way to know what that means. And so it might mean something and it might not. Like there's no gold standard of what that actually means. And so people use that like as a trauma-informed system, a trauma-informed school, a trauma-informed this, a trauma-informed that, but that doesn't necessarily mean. So you need to actually ask, what does that mean? Like if you're a trauma-informed coach, like Have you gotten training around trauma? Are you certified in IFS? Have you gone to trainings with IFS? Like, what do you do with me that lets me know that you know about trauma? So how does it actually look? And so to be able to ask deeper questions, because I think that even if you ask the top level questions that you need to ask the deeper questions, like, what does this actually look like? What does this actually mean? I think is that the way to kind of ask that so that you can kind of feel comfortable in what that actually means it actually feels like. And I think that that's important because that's something that you want to feel. And I think always trusting your gut, I think is an important part of it. And one thing to add of a recent experience, I knew that I was looking for another coach and I'm currently with another coach. But when I was in the process, and I feel this is important for anyone looking for coaching or therapy, just to have an idea of at least a few options of the different ways that you could move perhaps towards the same outcome and to then be able to ask whoever that person is that's doing that initial session with you, asking them, how can you help me in a way that's different than this other option? And why do you feel that your process is more appropriate? And that was something that I asked for this particular coach that I ended up not working with because I happened to find someone who was just very, very resonant when I, as soon as I saw their website and read their copy was like, this person is speaking directly to me. And then after meeting with them, it was like, this is what I need. And I could feel that in my gut. But it took the process of knowing, okay, there's a few different ways I could go. Let me meet these people. And then I'm going to go with what feels best and what feels most resonant and aligned. No, that's very helpful. Go ahead, Jackie. He nailed it when he said that too, about that he said, oh, how they talk. And I feel like I used to get more questions. And now I feel when people get at consults, I they're sold before they get on. They're just like, no, just tell me how to sign up, right? So I think when you put yourself out there, like he said, the way they talk, you think you're going to attract the people that are like, this is the person that can help me. This is finally the person. So I find the more you put yourself out, they really explain what you're doing. The less people come with questions because they're like, oh my gosh, this is the person that can help me. Like they feel it in their gut. He said, this person was speaking to me. They come to that call. Like there is different ways. Like some people will come with a billion questions, but I feel like the more you put yourself out there and really get good at believing in yourself and what you offer and explaining that in a clear way. Yeah. I think one of the challenges though, is the difference between finding a coach and finding a therapist is that psychology today is a good resource for finding therapists and searching for therapists. And we'll actually put a link to that in the notes here. And I feel that when you're 
sewn in by your insurance because a lot of therapists are being paid for by your insurance and you're sewn in by your insurance, it can be very challenging. I know that I shared it in the first episode in the series that I can't find a therapist. I've been looking for a therapist for like three or four years now. Will's had to hear about this. He's a friend of mine. So I've been looking for years for a therapist and have not successfully been able to find a therapist. So it hasn't, it started with me like vetting and looking and trying to find somebody I resonated with, which is what I had the luxury of doing a decade ago. It's no longer, I can't look for recommendations. I can't look for, you can't get in with anybody. And so it's not even an option. And so, and the last therapist that I tried to see that I did through one of the online options. And I found a great prescriber through that online option. They were amazing. The prescriber was, but the therapist I found, we talked about them the whole time and not about me. So I stopped paying for that. And I've also had not great experiences with therapists overall in my life, but I've had great experiences as well. And so it's not always easy with a therapist and it's harder to find who you resonate with. Whereas like with coaches, I feel like they do more marketing. They do more workshops. They go on podcasts. I think podcasts, hello, are a great way to get to hear them, get to know them, see if you resonate with them, listen to what they say. And coaches have to do a better job of marketing themselves because they don't get referrals from insurance. And so they are clearer on their messaging and they are clearer on what they do. And it is easier to find that resonance before you even have a conversation with them. So that's why I feel like there's this challenge. And then I know a number of people that go to see a therapist once, twice, and I have somebody dear to me that went to a therapist twice and they just stopped showing up because they didn't connect and didn't have the comfort of being like, no, you're the wrong therapist. And so they talked to me and I was like, no, that was the wrong therapist. And she said, no, you're the wrong therapist and asked for different therapists instead of getting a bad reputation at this clinic that they weren't showing up for appointments. And so then they can no longer see somebody through that clinic because they didn't show up for appointments when in fact the therapist was not helping them, did not have a good connection with them and wasn't doing what they needed. And I was able to help them get that language after it was kind of too late and they were blackballed at that clinic and there was no other clinic they could easily get transportation to. And so to have that authority, I feel like with therapy is probably a little bit more of a challenge than finding the resonance with coaches. So what are your guys' thoughts on that? I don't know if, if everyone here has been to therapy or has had experiences with therapy or has family or friends with therapy, but can we speak a little bit more to that maybe? I'm jealous of Lynn. She's in Germany. I feel like I need to move to Germany so I can get therapy. Lynn, if I move to Germany, will I get therapy easier? Oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> there are waiting lists. I think it's as difficult as it is in the States. Darn it. Unfortunately. Yeah. And especially if you want an English speaking one, then the waiting list is even longer. So I had to learn German and I had to, exactly. <laughs> but you know, like the obstacles that we would take to actually get, you know, a good therapist. Right. So. Yeah. But I think you need to find the right person. So don't stay with somebody just because it's an obstacle to get a good therapist. Cause there are wills out there. Well, you don't even have any openings in your practice, do you? No, not currently. Yeah. So that doesn't surprise me. My, all the good therapists I know don't have any openings. Again, every therapist has their own process. And again, this is sort of coming from my feminist sort of ideology around how to be as a therapist with my clients is I'm like, look, you're interviewing me as much as I'm interviewing you. You know, if you don't like what we're doing, if you don't want to work with me, that's okay. I'm not everybody's cup of tea. I think other folks have said there are certain clients that resonate with you, other ones that just don't for a million reasons. And I'm happy to know that. And sometimes still clients still struggle with that, but let me know because I will help you find somebody else. That is my job, actually. If I don't work well with you, my ethical bound is if I've contracted to work with you and we aren't working out and you let me know 
it's my job to ethically help you find a referral and I will do my darndest. And I realize with the impact of the pandemic and the system of mental health in general and our healthcare system is broken quite a bit. And there are wait lists a lot of places, but as much as I can work with a broken system, I will do that. And I'm ethically bound to do it. So take advantage of that. The sucky thing if you leave is you're on your own again and you're like kind of in the sea of where do I figure things out? But again, clients, because that power didn't how hard I'm saying, you're not helpful or like, I don't like you. <laughs> I'm like, fine, that's okay. Like, you don't have to like me. We'll find someone else. <laughs> Giving that platform, like talking ahead of them, this is something you could think about, like talk to me about it. So give them permission. Yeah. If you manage to get into a system instead of just not showing up for your appointments or those pieces as a result of not feeling that connection, that instead you should feel empowered to find somebody in that system to say, I'm not connecting with this person for reason X, Y, or Z. I still need therapy. Help me find somebody I do connect with. And so to be empowered to still search within the system and to know that that system should help you find somebody else. Like once they get you in the door, it's obligated to help you find someone else and for you to do that for your child, for your sibling, for your parents, for somebody that you know that that to keep trying, to just keep trying and to know that it's not you. You were not broken. The system is broken. And to keep fighting and pushing for that if that is what you need. Right. And just because it's not working for me doesn't mean you're not fixable. <laughs> you know, like I'm not the right fit. And I realized too, people struggle with assertiveness and advocating for themselves is a big reason people come to therapy or go to coaches. So I realized the very thing we're asking them to do is maybe hard. So I'm really in the beginning, I'm like, can hold I'm like, hey, let me know. I know this may be really, really hard, but I promise you, I want to know. <laughs> like, please, please tell me. <laughs> yes. And chances are the therapists I don't resonate with are the ones that aren't like that. So it's quite possible that, that you're not resonating with somebody who's not like that because they don't have that orientation or that perception. But the system they work in should have that orientation and should be like that. So go into that system if you can't go to that individual. So feel empowered to do that. So that's very helpful. So you have an LICSW, a licensed independent clinical social worker because of the designation in Massachusetts where you're licensed. So it's a little bit different. Would you talk a little bit more about some of the alphabet soup and some of the people that you work with and some of those designations? So are we talking about like other people who are helpers, like other parts you mentioned? Yes. Yes. That you work with. Because I talked about it a little bit in my episode, but could you just expand a little bit on your perspective for that? Sure. So I listened to your episode, so I want to make sure I don't repeat, but there are a variety of people in mental health with insurance companies. So I'm not speaking about coaches here, right? So as far as mental health licensed under insurance plans and stuff like that. So we have, right, what? I'm a LICSW, licensed independent clinical social worker. So should I describe like what that is or should I just describe me in comparison to others? Because so you have like dialectical behavior therapy, DBT, is one of your designations. But when you got that designation, you were training with people that we're not licensed clinical social workers. You specialized in trauma, but also in substance abuse at one point in your yes. training yeah. and the LGBTQIA plus communities. And I specialized in young children, but you studied with people that weren't LICSWs, even though you had that. So you could talk more about people that you worked with that have your specializations that don't have the LCSW or the MSW training. Yeah. So, I mean, again, like there are psychologists who typically have PhDs or CIDs, right? And they have a different degree track and they have a different sort of training program, right? And they can do psychological testing, whereas a social worker, I cannot, right? So a lot of people are confused about 
what the parameters are. Like I can't prescribe, right? Some people say, oh, can you prescribe medication? I'm like, no, psychologists cannot, licensed clinical social workers cannot, licensed mental health counselors, which is licensed professional counselors in other states or licensed marriage and family therapists cannot prescribe. Only psychiatric nurses, psychiatrists who go to med school or people who have special designations as psychiatric nurse practitioners or psychiatric physicians assistants can prescribe. So we can share, like I work with people in DBT or EMDR who are prescribers, right? Who are LMHCs, who are psychologists. We all have different letters that mean different levels of training and different parameters of what we can do, but we also share like a specialty, right? So you can have a DBT specialist or an EMDR specialist who's a psychologist, who's a psychiatrist. You know, you can't have a licensed clinical social worker who prescribes medications. No, that's perfect. That's definitely something that I didn't touch on is the prescribing and that type of thing. So sometimes even when you have somebody who's licensed, like the license and the ability to prescribe are even different. And so you had to have more helpers that are at different levels to be able to support you when you have those designations as well. That's very helpful. And it changes by state as well sometimes. Correct. Yeah. I mean, every state has its own level of licenses, particularly for mid-level practitioners or like clinical social workers, licensed marriage and family therapists, licensed professional counselors, licensed mental health counselors. We all have a different mix of letters depending on the state. But I guess that's why I encourage all people like, what do your letters mean? Tell me what your letters mean. What is your training that brings you to that? And I think you mentioned in your episode too, Shauna, that even though we're both LICSWs in Massachusetts, we both have the same degree level. Obviously, our specialties are humongously different. It would be humongously unethical for me to practice with children. I do not work with anyone under the age of 18. And their therapist should know that. Like if someone calls me, like, oh, I have a 12-year-old. I'm like, no, I'm not fit, right? But my other person's an LICSW. I'm like, yeah, well, what is their training? Oh, they've been trained in early childhood development or they're a play therapist or they specialize in sand tray or certain specific therapies that are geared for children. We share the same licenses, but we have different trainings. So that's why the, what is your letters mean? Tell me your specific trainings that help with my issue. Like, I feel this way. What can you do to help? And what are you trained in to do that? And ethically, if we practice outside of that, I mean, a client could file against my license in the state, right? Because I am practicing outside of the bounds of my ethical knowledge of my skill set, right? So I'm not working with the population I'm trained in. So, I mean, not to like, I might want clients to sue everybody, but I want to empower them to say like, look, like if you're you should be getting honest care that is based out of training and knowledge and experience. And if they're stepping outside of that and you get harmed. Yes. I hadn't even thought about that. Yeah. I just thought that I wouldn't do that because I wouldn't enjoy it. <laughs> More than it being. Like, but yes, it wouldn't be wise as well as it not being enjoyable. <laughs> so it wouldn't be good for anybody. But there are people who are less specialized and have more of a general basis, especially in more rural areas that see a wider swath that haven't been able to specialize as much. And so they do do more general practice. So it's very possible, especially in rural areas, that you have somebody who's very generalized and sees young children, older children, adults, and does drug and alcohol as well as doing trauma because they've had to remain very generalized and they haven't been able to specialize. Whereas somebody who's very specialized would remain specialized. So it's not always the case that somebody is very specialized, but you should definitely talk to that. And it depends on your access. Because when I came back to Oregon, I remember being asked to be specialized working on diagnostic criteria for selective mutism. And that's where a child doesn't speak in certain environments. And I was shocked at my level of experience. And I had the most experience at the table to be able to do this because I worked in an urban area in Boston and had been 
more experience than everyone else at the table that I was at for the whole state of Oregon because it's a more rural area and there's less opportunity for those experiences. In urban areas, you have much more focused specialties with those things. So all very interesting. Fair. But even in these cases, right, it's fair to say like, all right, you're coming with this. This is my limits. This is what I can offer. This is what I can't. Like I will get consultation. I may have to get consultation with someone or like work with someone who has more training. So as long as you're honest about like, okay, I can do some of that and this is what I would need to support that. But this is also the limit. Exactly. Working with those bounds and being able to support that. That's very helpful. Is there anything that we haven't been able to touch on that you guys feel like is very valuable that we need to make sure that we kind of get back to? Do we want to talk about how another aspect of coaching that is different from therapy and that coaching is not regulated? Yes. Let's talk about that, Lynn. Perfect. Because <laughs> that's a really big difference, right? So there isn't a regulatory body that oversees coaches. Like anyone can call themselves a coach. And, you know, if they're good in sales and marketing and like they can get clients like that, right? So that's a big difference too. It's like really important to ask your coaches if you are interested and if you vibe with the coach, if it's important for you to ask about their credentials and stuff like that, to keep that in mind, because there are some coaches out there who don't even get training. Yeah. And to know if they do that. But so with that, because that's a curiosity that I honestly don't know the answer to. So I know that if I go to a therapist, they're licensed, they're certified, whatever. There's a body that I can go to to make a complaint if their boundaries or what they do is outside of that. With coaches, because I know that there are. So like with Jacqueline, she's a certified life coach. And I know that there are some certifying and accrediting bodies within coaching. If I go to a coach that is certified, if, if there's something that happens, if there's something outside of boundaries or something concerning or whatever else, is there somebody that holds them accountable? Is that something that it can affect their certification if there's a concern or is there nobody that you report to? Do you have anything about that, Eric? Well, I know that certain certification programs can be accredited through more official governing bodies. For example, there's the ICF, like the International Coaching Foundation. I think the other one's ACC. So those are questions that people looking for coaches could ask. The program I picked, I picked because they were accredited. And it was like one of the gold standards. And same thing for my personal training. Anyone could be a personal trainer and there's all different certs you could get. I personally wanted the one that was underneath that standard, so to speak, that people, even if they don't recognize it, they would have the ability to look into it and get whatever type of verification they would need to feel comfortable about working with that person. Oh, good. If you do go to somebody that's in that, is there any way to follow through if something goes sideways with your experience? No. Even though I went through my certification program, no one's regulating me. It's really my responsibility to have a clear contract with people regarding what we're working on, what we're not working on, what we're both accountable for, you know, what's within our scope, what's not within our scope. It really is that ethical responsibility of the coach to make sure that they're driving within their own lane. Well, that's a good point though. So you guys do actually have like contracts that lay out your relationship and responsibilities that you have with your clients then. <laughs> so that's probably a good thing to look out for if you're going to work with a coach then to have a clear contract or delineation of your relationship and the responsibilities within that relationship. I think I'd look for that and ask for that and with a coaching relationship, that's valuable. So personally, like I have a contract that, that we both sign, but like what goes on within the actual sessions themselves, that's verbal. So that's verbal contracting that we do 
before we even begin work together, but then also in the individual sessions. Yes. You know, I like that to have an overall doing that. Because even with my podcasting network, like we sign an agreement of like, this is what we're doing. This is what we agree to. And this is like how many things and everyone has a clear understanding of the relationship. And I like that there's that clear understanding of the relationship with the coaching of just like, you know, this is our coaching relationship and this is what we're doing. I think that's valuable. You guys do that. So that's helpful. Yeah. 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 Nice. Well, good. I think this has been like a really great overview of what this is. And I think that as we kind of close things up, because we have gone a little bit longer, so I think we're going to skip over the self-maintenance. You guys have to go back and visit the self-maintenance from our last episode. So we're going to skip over the self-maintenance for this thing. But I do think with our grit wit, they'd be good for us to kind of recapture what we feel like the most important questions are that people should consider as they're looking to find a coach or a therapist, and that with a coach or therapist, do we have any other ideas? Because I mentioned like psychology today, like you go through your insurance typically to look for therapists and can look at their recommendations if your insurance is a good website to help you find people to ask for recommendations from friends. Psychology Today often lets you look through and look at therapists. Do we have any other ideas or suggestions about where to find therapists, do you guys? I mean, if you are any kind of healthcare system, if you have a primary care provider or anything like that, they should have places to refer you if you come in with mental health issues or behavioral health stuff. So that could be a starting point as well. So primary care is a good place to start for referrals as well. Excellent. So primary care. And then for looking for coaches, we talked about, I think podcasts are a great way. (laughs) And when I have coaches on my episodes, like one of the words I use is coach. So you can actually search through for coaches. And when I do stuff like on Instagram or whatever else, I put coach in there too. So you can search for podcast episodes with coaches in them. So that's one place to look for coaches, searching Google, searching online for coaches. So for our coaches, where are some good places to search for coaches? There are a lot of directories out there. Directories and also like lots of coaching platforms are out there now. Do you have specific ones you'd recommend that you guys are on? Because we love you guys, obviously. <laughs> I'm not on any of them right now because um, I'm doing it like trying to build my business the hard way. Um, no, but like a lot of like referrals too, right? Like if you know of one coach, they are likely to know a bunch of other coaches who do different things. And so just having conversations with people, like if you find one coach, you'll find a lot of coaches in my personal experience. Nice. Do you have thoughts, Eric, about good ways to find coaches? No, but the coach that I'm working with now has been wonderful. And I just happened to stumble upon her. It was just kind of like one thing, a bunch of little breadcrumbs, and then I found her page. I'm like, this is it. But just to be on the search, to be a seeker for that which resonates with you, to have that openness to explore. You know, there's going to be so many people on Instagram. There's going to be people on all the social platforms um, on YouTube. And like you said, the podcast, I think it's really important to explore, to find which schools of thought and procedures are most resonant with you and to try them out. I think most people give some type of complimentary consultation, even if it's only 15 minutes, to explore, find that which is resonant and take people up on their free experiences and go from there. And don't feel bad for saying no. Like, don't feel bad for like not ending up to work with this coach, right? Because so much of it is about the experience and like the relationship that you have with them. Like I've had multiple friends who have gone to therapists and gone to coaches and didn't even like their therapist or coach. And I'm just like, why, how, what? (laughs) Like so many questions. But like, I think it's really important that the person that you're working with 
that you feel a connection. Yes, I 100% agree. As a trained therapist and as someone who's gone to therapists and I'm working on finding more of those resources for helpers, it's important that you resonate. That's excellent. And I feel like the question that we found was really important is that do they have a helper or whatever that might be? And do they believe in the importance of having helpers? Because we felt that was a really important. That's when we all nod and agree to. That's why you all heads nod for that one. So that's definitely a good one. And for you to have a sense, I feel like when I spoke to folks about the therapist helpers coach conversation that they also didn't know what they were supposed to get out of it as well. So for you to have a sense of what you're trying to, like what you're presenting problem, situation, like what you're trying to solve and to be able to go in there saying like, this is what I need help with. Can you help with this? Is this something you help with? It's probably a really good place to start. And then being able to say like, I also have these things. What are your experience with these things? And get specific about their experience and whatever like they've studied, what they study, like get real about not like, oh yes, I have ADHD and you've worked with one person's ADHD. Like what have you done with ADHD? Who have you helped and what are examples of that? Or what have you studied and what are examples? Like how intense is your knowledge and how is that going to actually apply to me type of thing? So get specific. Are those like kind of the highlights of like the type of questions and to dig in there on those things a little bit with experiences and background and not to be afraid to ask those things? Yeah. And like even you said, like ADHD, like what therapeutic interventions do you use? Oh, I work with ADHD. What does that mean? Do you use cognitive behavior therapy? Do you use what kinds of therapies do you use? What do you know about them? Can you refer me to an article about that kind of therapy? Or is there a place I can go to understand more of what if I did cognitive behavior therapy with someone with ADHD? Yeah. What does that look like? And then also maybe the question about like, would you refer me to somebody else if you couldn't help me? I think that that's probably a really good question to ask yes. to anyone that you saw like and from any helper that they should be able to say yes and have a sense of what's outside of if they think they can do everything for you then they probably aren't the right person for you and i would hope that the helper would be the one who would initiate that statement but it is an important question to ask i did have one more thing really quick you said about other places to find therapists so if you like a particular therapy modality like if you are reading about internal family systems and you're like this is IFS or EMDR or whatever, and you're like, oh, I'm really into this. I'm curious about this therapy. There are like national certifying bodies that you can go to their websites. And then if they have people have been trained in it, you should be able to search in the area or search and their names should be listed. So not saying that they definitely will have openings, but you can definitely see who's been trained in that modality through that regulating body. So that's another way to find someone. Yes, and we will. And in the episode 32 for IFS, we have that link for IFS specifically. So that's a good place to go back and find that. So this has been so valuable. Thank you all so much for being here. I appreciate all of you and your perspectives and adding so much to our audience. So thank each and every one of you for doing this. Thank you so much for your time. My pleasure. Thank you too. It was great seeing other folks and talking with you. Yes, you guys are all valuable. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Be sure to jump on over to Instagram and follow us at the.grit.show. And if you aren't already following Authentic Connections Podcast Network at 37 by 27, you should definitely be doing that as well. Don't forget, you are the only one of you that this world has got. And that means something. I'll be here next Tuesday. I hope you are too.